0: I'm Anna McEwen and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. (laughs) All right. Good day, everybody. Did you ever get up early, like inadvertently? I did today. And I'm an early riser anyways. I mean, well, for me, I think it's early. I get up Generally about about 4:45 in the morning. Sometimes uh, a little earlier, 4:30. Sometimes a little later, you know, 5:05. Five, five. five o'clock to me seems late. Uh, I I have like a routine, a rhythm in the morning, and um, and I get try and get all this all my little routine done before my wife gets up, and then I try to make her coffee. Every morning I'm here, which since the COVID thing is just about every morning now, um, because my other routine was to go swimming in the early morning. So there were certain days I wasn't around, but no, that's not happening. So anyways, enough about my troubles. But today, man, I woke up and I I was like, oh, I got to get up because I would... I would testify in a in a court of law that I woke up and it was 4:40, so I was thinking, oh, I I can get up, get going. So I'm outside walking the dog, and I pull out my phone and it says 4:10. I'm like, wait, I don't know what time it must have been four o'clock. I don't know how I thought that was a that was a 4:40, uh, but what my eyeballs were telling me, but that it was early. Even for me, four o'clock's early. But anyways, here I am, back in the saddle in my beautiful basement. Okay, I don't know if it's beautiful, but eh, it's nice. It's a nice place to set up um, recording, I think. Who knows? I might set up a serious studio down here someday. Podcast becomes famous. People are listening to it. People ask me to come speak. Oh. I could make a living doing this. Oh, So much fun. I have so much more fun in a live audience than I do recording, but I have fun recording, so I'm good doing it. Anyways, on with the story. First Samuel 26. So when we left, when we last spoke, at least about the story, David had... Uh, i gotten a second wife. That's what he did. He got Abigail as his wife and, um, I'm sure she was doing quite nicely running things. She had five, uh, attendants, servants that came with her and they were rolling along and David, um, heads down to more hill country with the, um, with the woods and the caves and the hills and the whole families are with them and, and everything's rolling along. And and Saul finds out where? how's he find out? All oh, the Siphites told him. Remember those guys? They were from a few, several podcasts ago. They're the ones who promised Saul, "Hey, we will tell you. We will deliver David up to you, in exchange for rewards and acknowledgement, and maybe some sort of, uh, you know, authority in the in the region." So they reported him again. Remember last time? He came close to him, probably didn't know he was close, but, but didn't get him. So this time they tell him again. And Saul comes down with 3,000 select Israeli troops to search for David. Now, these, when it says select, that, that, um, that, that probably means loyal Benjamites, family, people that are connected through blood. 'Cause blood is thicker than water. So that was a phrase I think from a disco song that I uh, I, I I learned when I was you know it seems like a hundred years ago, but it was probably more like 45 years ago. And I remember singing it many times and having no idea what it meant. I just thought it was it was a cool song, but we uh we we know now that this talk about family is is thicker than than friends. So he selects these troops. They are probably all connected to the various commanders and le- various leadership roles that he's given their fathers and wealth and um, land that he's given their families. Wow, that was a long yawn. I told you I got up early, even for me. Take a little shot of coffee see what happens. So Saul goes down to the desert with 3,000 of his select family troops. Saul makes his camp uh, beside the road on the hill of this. I mean, it's so funny how they get so detailed. I can't even enunciate these words. David stayed in the wilderness. He didn't. He didn't get drawn out. He didn't. He didn't do anything. But he, he hears that Saul is in the area. So he sends out sco- scouts to confirm that Saul had actually arrived with them. So so David David doesn't try to run. Uh, he doesn't try to move the the families and the troops out of the hill country. He decides um, you know to stay, and he. And he sends out scouts to see if Saul actually sent these guys or if Saul actually showed up. So he gets word back that Saul actually uh, showed up, that he is actually with the troops. So so David sets out and he goes to the place where Saul's camped. And now what that means is he didn't actually like show up where he camped. He came to that area where Saul was and he confirmed himself. That Saul was there and Abner, the commander, Lord General Commander of the army. So Saul, uh, David, this is like a little recon mission. David's David's not alone, but it's a little recon mission. He's he's probably got thirty guys with him. I, I think the thirty mighty men came with him, and they just they're just hanging out, um, staying. You know, hidden, but they're watching the troops, and the troops are setting up camp, and they're probably setting up camp in such a way that they will run. We'll call them raiding parties, but they're not really looking for plunder. They're they're looking for David. They're going to send you know scout scout groups out amongst uh, amongst the hills and the woods, and David knows this, and his men know this, and they're probably talking about what what they're going to do when this happens, and where they can go, and and uh, it gets to be everybody's lays down, everybody goes to bed. Um, and Saul, it says Saul's laying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. So his his tent, his canopy, is in the middle of the 3,000 guys. So he's probably got a, several layers of troops around him. I don't know if they if they literally camped in a circle if they. You know, camped in 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 lines, you know, like uh, like what do you what were those old TV shows like uh, the Calvary back in the on the Westerns, how they, you know, their little white tents would all be in lines or the Civil War. But but they camped around him. They wanted whatever however he was laid out, he was laid out in such a way that he would have been maximized in his protection. And Abner, the Lord General Commander of all troops, laid next to him. He laid—I uh, don't know if that means literally in the same tent or or under the same canopy, <clears throat> or if he laid, you know, just just next to him. But either way, he was close. Again, another symbol of of royalty, another symbol of of authority representing you know no one's no one's gonna get to the king they're gonna have to kill me first type of position so David says to uh Himelech and to Abishai now these are two of um two of his mighty men I don't know if they were the only two I like I said I kind of think more than two went to observe all day but these two were stayed with David maybe the others were sent back David just wanted to observe I don't know. I'm making that part up, so to speak, in my own imagination. But David's there with this two, with these two men, and he says, um, "Which one of you want to go down to with me to Saul?" And Abishai, the, the the nuance here is like almost immediately says, "I'll go. I will go." Like in like he is ready to take this guy down. He is ready to take on the thirty, you know, the three thousand troops. He doesn't care what happens. He's sticking with David and he's going after Saul. Man, we're going after Saul. I I am all in. I'm all in. Oh yes, absolutely. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. You kind of picture that is that uh, um, Ahimelech, you know, slightly hesitated. Not that he wasn't willing to go. He just slightly hes- hesitated, and Abishai was like, "I'm going. I'll go. I'll go with you." So David's like, "Okay, let's go." So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul. Now I love that phrase, "went to the army by night," and there was Saul. It, it's 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 not an easy walk. There are three thousand troops surrounding David at this, surrounding uh, Saul at this point. Now I don't like I said. Now maybe he didn't necessarily walk by all three thousand men, right? He 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 watched the way that they set up camp. He probably had already picked out his route. They didn't have flashlights, they didn't have lanterns. I'm sure that there was probably some fires that were still going or some coals that were still glowing. But it wasn't I mean, if you've ever been camping, that doesn't give out a ton of light. You can see them. You can see like ambers glowing, but you can't really see anything when you're when you're near them. So it's not it's not well lit. It is heavily shadowed. And the desert sky is clear and bright. And so there is some light coming from... I mean, the desert is just brilliant at night. Brilliant. With the with the brightness of the stars and maybe the moon. And he works his way through this sneakily. Sneakily? Quietly? He's... It's not... He's focused. you got to stay focused. And there's Abishai with him. They're working their way around... They're hand, you know, doing the hand signals like, like we see, uh, you know, the, the commandos do, or the, or the Green Beret, or, or the, uh, you know, who, the recon missions, the whatever, all the action movies. You can imagine these guys with their own silent communication, uh, language as they as they work their way through the dark, and they get all the way to Saul's tent, and there he is. He's just laying there sound asleep and that spear his the one that he won't let go the one that he threatens people with intimidates people with walks around with clinks on the ground when he's thinking the one that you know he spins on the ground when he when he's bored the one i mean this 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 spear is never leaves it's a security blanket it never leaves his side and there it is it's stuck in the ground next to his head and Abner is laying there right right next to him with all the soldiers around him. And I just picture these this long moment of silence. Like, first of all, there's this feeling of relief, like, wow, we got here. Like we didn't get caught. Like here we are. We are literally in the middle of the enemy's encampment, standing over the man who has committed himself to my death. The only way the only way it seems that this guy will stop chasing me is if I kill him, and he's standing there, and I'm sure his heart is is actually I think David's heart is probably calm at this point i think I think David's very much at peace like when he got there i i don't I think he was a little a little nervous thinking all the way there, but when he got there, it was like hmm, wow. Here I am. In the perfect position to take out the only person who's standing in the in the way of me becoming the king. And there had to be other thoughts that David had, had over over these years. David is is probably in his uh, late 20s, probably around 28 years old at this point. And he's thinking he had to have had some thoughts about how he would have run the country differently. And I'm sure he was told by many people, many of those that had joined him had probably said, you know, if you, when you, if you ever get to run the country, it's going to be so much better. Like the way that you lead, the way that you speak, the way that you interact, the way that you empower, the way that you, the way that you, uh, relationally, Connect to people. You don't use people. You don't abuse people. You don't abuse your power. You get involved with them. You you fight alongside them. You shepherd alongside them. You encourage them. Like David is this uh, you know incredible man. You lead them spiritually. You teach them spiritually. You sing with them. You dance with them. You eat with them. Like you are an amazing leader, David. You. When you run this country, this country is going to be so amazing to live in. Saul has run it into the ground, as far as as far as um, no, not culture. What do I want to say? Not atmosphere. Uh, well, maybe the atmosphere. Saul, Saul has just created this right this culture of fear. So so the hope is gone. That's what I want. To, yeah yeah. That's that's the direction we want to go. Hope is gone out of the out of the most of the country there's division the north and the south are divided the the benjamites are clearly favored by the king and and trusted by the king and and the other troops are uh, other tribes are being left out of of roles that they should have david you are you are the type of leader that we need and david's standing there and he's and i'm sure he's thinking at some, in some way, he's referencing all of that as he stands there. And I think as he became incredibly still and very calm. And Abishai is standing next to him. And he says, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me <laughs> pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. Now, I doubt he said it that loudly. He probably said, Dave, I'll take care of this. Your enemy is now ours. It's ours. This is ours. Seize the moment. Our lives will change forever. I'll do it. Now, there are a couple things going on here. He he was he was promising David that he wouldn't strike him twice. So he's saying, "Listen, I'm not going to do I'm not going to torture like torture him. There's going to be no pain involved in this. They as warriors, they would have known exactly where to slip that spear so that the death would have been almost immediate." He's promising that. He's like, "I I won't strike him twice. This will be over quickly." it probably be done silently as well and then he says like like when he when he says uh you know now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear he's saying listen david i don't i'm i'm not even going to ask you to take this on i'm not going to put the guilt on you you don't have to have his blood on your hands for for the rest of time when anybody questions you you can say you did not kill Saul abishai did i'll take this responsibility i'll take the weight of killing a king in israel and if i need to he's he's literally he's literally saying david if i need to i'll die for this i'll put my life in jeopardy if for some reason we you know you don't become king and i you know i become a most wanted man for killing the king and and i end up dying i'm i'm good with that you don't have to be the one who struck him we will make it clear that I did it. That's, that's what Abishai is committing to. This is a, this is a really intense uh, moment of friendship, of loyalty, of, of uh, not fear, of, of passion for the plan of God, for the man of, of what they believe and who they believe is the man of God for the moment. They, this, Abishai wants this to happen. And, and he wants it to happen for his family. He wants it to happen for for the men, the other troops that he fights with. He wants it to happen for all of their families. He wants peace in the in the country. He wants David to lead the nation. He knows that this is going to benefit all who come in contact with the nation will be benefited if Saul dies. And, and that's the way Abishai is looking at this. And that's what he's committing to. So I I, I picture David turning to Abishai because. Because I think it kind of surprised David that Abishai was was so willing to, immediate, you know, to, to take this role on. And David knows what that role is, and he stops him immediately. He's like, no, 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 do not destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or in, or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish but the lord forbid that i should lay a hand on the lord's anointed now get the spear and the water jug near his head and let's go now again i don't think that this this conversation i, I don't even know if it was that you know if it was that quick or if they had a moment to talk i that's why i i'm not sure if if, if they were outside a tent or if they were you know if they were really right over Saul or if they kind of stepped aside into a little, uh, cause I'm guessing Saul's tent probably wasn't like three feet away from the next, from the next tent. It probably had a pretty big ring of protection. Saul didn't, Saul was not a relational person. He didn't want all the troops. He didn't want to hear anybody snoring. He didn't want to hear people talking. So I have a feeling there was a pretty good gap between Saul's sleeping area in the sleeping area of all the other men. So I think David probably pulls Abishai aside and he's like, no, 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 no. We are not gonna kill him. We we can't. It's not our job to kill him. It's not our role to bring death. I love this. I love this position of David. David's like, listen, I'm, I'm not, I am not the one who brings death to God's anointed. I I know God put him in as king. And in my opinion, from my perspective, it's God who has to remove him. I know I'm anointed the next king, but it's not my job to put myself there. It's God's job to put me there. And so I don't know how Saul will die. I don't know if he'll die in battle. I don't know if he'll get sick. That's what it means when the Lord will strike him. Uh, I don't, I don't know if uh if if he'll just get old. But I'm not going to kill him. It's not my job. It's not my role. Man, I'll tell you, we can learn a lot from that. We can learn a lot. David's heart was, I'm gonna wait for God's timing. It, it wasn't it wasn't a defeat. He wasn't he wasn't This wasn't a a message to Abishai that says, there's no way we can win this. Like, if you kill him, there's no way we get out of of here alive and I don't want to die. This is not a self-pity thing. It's not a a lack of of trust uh, in in Abishai's ability. It's it's absolute confidence in the timing of God. So many so many of us would have gotten in the way of this. And again, David had this option. Again, remember, now this is a choice David makes. This is a choice David makes. This is an opportunity that lays before David. This is not God orchestrating like puppets what David's going to do. David had a choice. David didn't have to go into the to the quarters. He didn't have to sneak at the quarters. He didn't have to sneak through the troops. He didn't have to go see Saul. He didn't have to do what he was doing. He could have just went back to his his own family and he could have he could have left him. But there was something within him that said, "I need to try and convince Saul not to keep chasing me. I need to try and convince Saul not to keep." moving us from one place to another i need some sense of stability for these families for the people i'm responsible for which are probably pushing between 1500 and 2000 people at this time david's like i i need to reason with him somehow i need to get his attention and now he already did that once in the in the cave when he cut off the robe well cut off the corner of the robe and and saul left him alone and he's like i need another moment like that i He saw in that moment when he cut off the rope, he saw in Saul an opportunity for reason. He saw an opportunity to negotiate, to find some thread in which Saul would relinquish his pursuit. And David was looking for that opportunity. And I think that's the plan that David came up with while he was sitting on the hillside overlooking these troops, watching them set up camp. And ultimately, you know, all go to sleep. He was like, this is this is a crazy idea. I don't think he told his idea to Abishai because Abishai, I don't think would have went, went along with the plan. Abishai went fully believing that they were going to kill the king. David went with the plan that said, there's absolutely no way I'm killing the king. I'm just going to try and get his attention. I need him to know that once again, I could have killed him, but I won't kill him. I need him to know. That there's, that, that there's no need to keep pursuing me. I'm not going to try and take over the, the throne on my own. I'm not going to try and force my way into a role that I know God has called me to. I'm going to let God take care of things. I'm going to let the timing of God be worked out. This is such a level of trust. It's 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 awesome. So when he says to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? This is not... You know, I, 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 this is, this is not about um, the authority. Like, uh, how do I want to say this? Okay, there are many people in authority who look at this verse and say, "See, you can never raise a hand against the those in charge. You can never question those in charge. You, you cannot um, come against the Lord's anointed. Like, that's, that's not your job." And unfortunately, a lot of the people that use that reasoning are also pastors and teachers and minister leaders and and they just don't want to be questioned that's not what David's saying here he's saying don't destroy him who can lay a hand on the lord's anointed and be guiltless david's saying you you don't want to commit murder and you you also don't want to step out of god's timing you want to be so convinced that god wants you in the place of of you know that he's called you to be that it's it's like ridiculously clear. And I I do know that the balance on this is is crazy in the social media world. Like how much do you promote yourself and say and say this is God. Like God made me famous. God made me popular. God God got me the votes on the elder board, you know, to become pastor or whatever. There's 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 a there's a there's an awareness you have to have with the interacting uh, while you interact with with God about about what your role is in your own projection in your own movement uh, with his plan and how you move in that plan. I don't think you can make a wrong choice. I just know because God's goodness is always gonna be there, but there are those who force the issue, who force the timing. You know who who uh, are clearly motivated to be you know to become popular, clearly motivated to get the job, clearly motivated to to um, promote themselves. and and what's crazy is sometimes it w- works really well and they become incredibly popular. and sometimes it they crash and burn after their first wave of popularity because they weren't ready for it. And other people get themselves, you know, popular. They're out speaking and teaching and 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 making making noise in the kingdom. And in the in the end, they're there because of all the work they've done, and they have to maintain all that work to maintain that that role. If they don't keep promoting themselves, if they don't keep putting themselves out there, then then they're you know everything falls apart. I, I don't know what that balance is. I've never been popular. <laughs> That's terrible, Bob. I'm sure I'm popular now. Oh, yes, my podcast is worldwide. It doesn't really matter. I've just... I, I never really had to play that balance. Uh, and I don't know what that what it would be for me. I don't know what I'm going to do if this podcast blows up, if people start asking me to speak. I, I don't know. It's... it's uh, it, it could be... It'll be fun. It'll be fun. But David... David in this point he's like, "You can't be guiltless you can't you can't kill the king and then say God did that and that's I think his point in the rest of the conversation Whatever happens to Saul, I don't want to be tied into it it can't be something that I orchestrated because I'm not comfortable doing that now I know others would would have been and what would have happened? Would David have lost the kingship no. He would have had to deal with the results of killing the king. He would have had to deal with the long-term ramifications of the tribe of Benjamin would have, they, I mean, they, well, just for what it's worth, they hated him anyways for the most part, but they would, have, they would have had, he would have had real intense probable civil war to deal with when he became king. And maybe at some level, David understood that. He didn't want to open up that door. He didn't want to take the, the throne. He wanted to have it given to him and he wanted it to be, as peaceable as possible when he take over. he He knows you 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 don't you don't become the next king of Israel from a different family and have it all be happy, happy for everybody. and And Saul's making it even more difficult the way that he's leading because he's making those that are loyal to him more wealthy and more powerful in the country. Which is only going to help divide the country even more so when David becomes king, and in Saul's mind, if David becomes king, so they take the spear and the water jug. Repres- you know, it represents things that spear represents. You know, so much to Saul, it means so much to him, and and without it, he is he is he, you know, oh man, he's empty. Like he doesn't know what to do without it. He doesn't know how to intimidate without it. He needs that spear in order to lead. It's his security blanket. And they and they they grab they grab the water jug and they leave. No one saw it. No one knew it. No one it woke up. God gets all the credit for that. That's what the phrasing is when they said they were all sleeping because the Lord had put them in a deep sleep. That's that's God gets credit for the fact that no one woke up, which is fine. I don't think God gave everybody a sleeping pill. I don't think he, I don't think he, you know, I don't think he did it to give David the the advantage, but I do understand why you'd give him credit for it. And I do believe that's what's going on here. He gets credit for the, for the sleep. And I think he should get credit for the. I don't think you should take that away from God. You can give God credit for that. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing. And it's an awesome thing to always be thankful for everything. And David's thankful. No one woke up. God put him to sleep. David crosses over to the other side. He stands on top of a hill some distance away, a safe distance away. There was a pretty good space between them. It was it was close enough for him to yell across the valley and be heard, but it was also far enough away that the two of them could, and, and I'm guessing they're somewhere near um, um, uh, Ahimelech at this time as well, the 3 of them could probably escape without you know without too much trouble i mean 3000 troops in the dark trying to find them it's going to be difficult so david's at a safe spot and he yells out over the valley he's like hey abner 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 he finally says are you going to answer me <laughs> he has to wake him up he's waking him up from a from a far distance he's yelling yelling like i imagine there's a few people kind of rolling over wondering somebody you know tell abner eventually abner abner does wake up he rouses himself you know hears abner thinks this is my mo- he's probably dreaming thinking his mother's calling him abner it's time for bagels or something And he wakes up, and he's like, no, wait, no, no, where am I? Oh, my gosh, I'm in the, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And he wakes up, he's like, yo, who's calling me? Who's calling me? And David says, you're a man, aren't you? Now, this is not to mock him. Please don't think David's mocking him. I think that this is, this is uh, like, this is a legit surprise. Um, Abner, you know, wakes up. He's like, are you, you, you're a man, right? Who are you? Who is like you in Israel? He's like, you're, he elevates him. He's like, Abner, you're the, you're like, no one else is second to you. The, The only one over you is the king. You are an amazing man. You have an amazing role. Why didn't you guard your lord the king? So I'm sure at that point Abner looks over to the king and sees that the king is still alive. So now he doesn't know what to do. He looks back. It's dark. His eyes are blurry. His heart is pumping. The adrenaline is is pumping. He's probably standing at this point. He's probably grabbing his his sword or his spear. Like he doesn't know if they're under attack. He doesn't know if the camp is surrounded. He doesn't know if there's if there's um, you know what's what's going. He doesn't know what's going on, and and he's a he's a strong warrior, an amazing commander, and he knows that if somebody's yelling at you across the valley, there's a good chance there's hundreds, if not more, troops around you. Like this, is, this is trouble. So he jumps up, and he's like, "Why didn't you protect the king?" And he looks over, and the king seems to be uh, fine. So then he says, "What you're do- what you know, what you did isn't good." you know, if you and your men must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed, look around you. And Abner's like, okay, the king's fine. What is he talking about? And he might have even yelled that. What are you talking about? Who are you? What is going on? And at this point, the king's awake, and he's listening to this. And, and and the question comes where is the king's spear and water jug that it was near his head and 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 at that point I think both Saul and Abner look and and they see oh my gosh somebody was here tonight somebody did have the opportunity to kill the king and nobody knew it nobody. Abner slept through, he had to be so embarrassed. And David is standing on the hillside and having heard the voice, where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? And seeing and the fear that went through Saul, the fear that went through Abner, the embarrassment that went through Abner, right? He lives in a culture of fear. So shame and, and guilt, and and uh, fear and frustration and disappointment all were rolling all over Abner. He had to be so deep. He probably now he's sweating, thinking, "I'm in such deep trouble right now. This king is going to destroy me, and I'm going to destroy all these troops." But these were select troops. These were Benjamites. These were these were men that that had family commitment, and they all failed. And David knows it. He goes, I'm just saying, all you, all you all had a responsibility to guard the king. That's why you set up camp the way you did, and none of you did your job. So Saul recognizes the voice. He's like, David, is that you, my son? I'm sure he yelled it out. At this point, I'm guessing most of the 3,000 troops are wide awake. They're probably standing quietly or lying quietly, pretending they're asleep. But either way, no one's making a noise because there's a conversation now going on. It is David. So some of the troops, I'm I'm sure, are thinking, oh, my gosh, we're surrounded. David's troops are here. We're all dead. Yes, it is, my lord and king. And then he he basically states his case before all 3,000 Benjamites. He says, why are you pursuing me? What have I done? What wrong am I guilty of? Remember, confrontations are always best when you ask questions to understand. He doesn't ask these questions to mock Saul. He really wants to know, what did I do? Now let the Lord, the King, listen to my heart. Because I'm guessing there was an answer to this this question, right? This wasn't a monologue. This wasn't a, a fire fast fire fast fire conversation. Saul probably said, "I I don't know." He goes, "All right, let me why. Let you know why 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 I don't know. All right, well listen." Listen to my words. I, I want I am your servant. I am not going to kill you. If the Lord had incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If however people have done it, may the may the, may they be crushed before the Lord. They have driven me they have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, "Go serve other gods." Now, do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out and took and to look for a flea as one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So he gives an illustration that that is that is poetic, which is not unusual for David. Right. He's like you you've sent three thousand people to kill me. And and if and if the if the Lord sent you, then fine, like kill me. I, i'm i'm willing to do this but if 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 not you're chasing me around i'm like a i'm i'm like i'm cursed and you're driving me out of the country that i love i and you're driving me away from the presence of the lord which is you know the temples he he didn't want to be away from his places of worship he didn't want to be away from the country he loved he didn't want to be separated from the people that he loves that he protects that he'd give his life for don't send me to foreign lands where I might have to quote worship other gods it's not that he wanted to it's just again it's poetic it's it's an illustration like don't send me where where they don't worship Yahweh and Saul responds and I think honest. I think unlike the last time when Saul was full of self-pity I think this time he's actually sorry. Because he he's done it again and he knows he's he's done it again. He says, "I have sinned. Come come on back. You considered my life precious today. I will not harm you again. I've acted like a fool. And I've been, you know, I I I've, I've done the wrong thing." See, now Saul's embarrassed. Saul's in shame. Saul's been exposed. Saul's been questioned in front of basically his, you know, family. His his guards have been exposed as not being well-trained. Abner's been exposed as somebody who at least sleeps really, really well. This is a really embarrassing, hard moment for Saul. And he's like, I, I can't win. I can't win against this guy. I can't hit him with a spear. I can't find him in the ravines. I can't. I can't even sleep in a cave without him showing up and and proving that he's not out to kill me. And now he's shown me again. He's not out to kill me. What am I gonna do? What can I do with this guy? And the and and David offers a peace offering. He's like, you know what? Here. Here's your spear. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on you. So now he's what David has done is he's taken the spear that represented intimidation and power and authority, and he's added a layer of meaning to it. Now this spear represents what could have killed Saul, but it didn't. What David could have done to Saul, but he didn't. So this is a brilliant plan by David. I believe he thought this whole thing out while he was doing recon from the mountain. He was like, if I can get this spear and prove to Saul that I'm not out to kill him, it'll change everything. So they, they send a, uh, a young man over. He picks up the uh, the spear and the jug. And Saul says to David, may you be blessed, David. My son, you will do great things and surely triumph. And that was kind of a, a parting shot. He's like, you know what? God's with you. Clearly, He's with you, and someday you're gonna win. He, he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily concede the throne. He just knows eventually. He just sees the favor. He just sees the blessing. He just sees that David is a righteous man, and he knows internally he's not. It should have been an invitation. He should have received this whole circumstance as an invitation to get right with God. Once again, God's relentless in his love to call out to Saul, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Receive, receive, receive. Be aware, be beware be aware of my presence. Let's walk this out. Let's change this stuff. Let's repent. Let's get it right. And instead, Saul just transfers that all over to David and says, you're the good guy. I'm the bad guy. Someday you're gonna win. I'm gonna go home, and that's what they did. David went his way, and Saul went his. It's a, it's a it's a fitting end to the chapter, I guess, because they make so many different choices. Such not so many. Well, they did make so many, but such different choices on the way to interpret these circumstances. David sees the whole thing as an opportunity to bless the king. And to, and to give the king the freedom to run the country without chasing him. I mean, the resources and the attention that Saul is giving to try to kill David and wipe out his 600 men and the 1,500 people that hang out with him. He's like, please, just know I'm not going to, like, go run the country. I'm not going to take you out. I'm not going to force my way into the throne. He's trying to release Saul into freedom as well as expose Saul to the love and and kindness of God. And Saul looks at the whole thing and says, God hates me. He loves David. I'm out. It's it's crazy, but it's so true for all of us. We all have to take perspectives. We all make choices on the way that we see things. And if we don't see things from heaven's perspective, we're going to end up bummed out. I'm sure David left with a with a smile on his face, he saw the Lord do his work. Saul blessed him, so to speak, and told him he'd leave him alone. and everybody started packing up as the sun was coming up, and David left, and his men went back to their families and and they said, "Hey, you'll never guess what happened last night, right? It had to be crazy. What a story to go home and tell. To tell the men, to tell the men, tell the wives, the wives and and men tell their kids. The whole story had to be amazing to tell. And in the end, theoretically, we're free. Saul went home. It worked. It was a great victory. It's awesome. This story is an awesome little story. I hope you enjoyed it. You guys have a great day. We'll talk again soon.